people are going to die because of this. When you get to the intensive care unit, it's a different story because the majority of patients who are very sick um, are profoundly unwell. I mean, and this is in a private hospital where they didn't have an ICU bed for somebody that came in who required ventilation. And there were other private hospitals in the area that also didn't have enough beds available. It's week 14 of South Africa's national lockdown, and it's crystal clear that preparations of the most morbid sort are underway. From the development of field hospitals to the creation of added burial capacity, there is a mad dash underway in South Africa's health sector. It's really chilling, but definitely warranted, as at the time of this recording, South Africa is ranked number 11 in the world in terms of confirmed COVID cases with well over 250,000 cases. This means that in the coming weeks, as those numbers spike further, we're likely to see the hospitalization of many more South Africans. The question we currently face as a country is, has it been enough? And are we ready for what comes next? In today's episode, we're going to consider this very question. This short podcast series follows Sunday Times reporter Alex Patrick and senior reporter Graham Hoshkin as they track, record and reflect on the real events and people that make up SA's biggest COVID-19 news stories. For Boots on the Ground, behind SA's national lockdown, I am Paige Muller and this is episode 12, The Fight to Prepare. South African Medical Association Chairperson Dr. Angelique Kutsia spoke to Sunday Times senior reporter Graham Hoshkin about some of the challenges medical practitioners are facing while trying to cope with the influx of COVID-19 cases in Gauteng. Dr. Kutsia is particularly concerned that there is no intercommunication between hospitals regarding the availability of bed space and, importantly, of trained personnel. She says that a lack of data sharing is making it next to impossible to plan for the strain hospitals are expected to undertake in coming weeks. The problem is some of the public sector hospitals will count a bit. But the bed doesn't have personnel that can look after that bed. The bed doesn't have oxygen. The bed doesn't have whatever. So you cannot rely on the information to say these 200 beds. Yeah. Okay. So, so because, well, a bed doesn't mean anything. It must be a bed with personnel. So that's one problem that we all have. So you cannot plan for uh, in advance. We're trying to figure out how to get data. Mm. The data is not available, and it was a common concern. But um, that's not happening. There is no dashboard where you can get the information. I'm not even speaking about the public sector hospitals. Sure. So there's no where this information is not there. There's no proper IT system in place. They are saying, the public sector say they do have such a thing. None of us have seen it. I'm not sure who is seeing that. 
I don't even think that um, they themselves are seeing this. So when we start to criticize and say there's beds, then then the pub, the private sector will say, no, there are beds. They're not that full. But try. But the the, the, the the thing is, that's what they say. But try to get the patient into the hospital. That's not so easy. Dr. Kutsia says that while hospitals still technically have space, available beds and personnel are being reserved for COVID-19 patients. Where there is availability, there aren't enough resources and staff. She says that this is a historic and systematic issue that she feels we will not be able to rectify in the short term. You, you made mention that people were being turned away from, from Timbisa yes. Hospital. Yes. Do, do you know the other so hospital? Other provinces, it's, it's a nightmare in the Eastern Cape. Um, so, yeah, it's a problem. You know, one of the Eastern Cape hospitals, private hospitals, I can't remember they mentioned it this afternoon. I think it's PE, PE, it's a public, mm. private hospital. Half of this stuff has now been resigned because the Eastern Cape Department of Health had uh, promised them better salaries to come and work in their COVID hospital. I don't know whether the, when the COVID hospital is going to be up and running. So, so now they're leaving because the money is all better. So, mm. so there's not enough personnel. Um, you cannot bring in the Cubans because they can't understand English. It's still a problem. So, so bringing other people from other countries is not really going to help us. The thing is, all these years we have said to the Department of Health, you freeze the post, you put people in, in decision-making positions in hospitals as hospital managers, that's not leaders that cannot, that, that doesn't have the ability to do this, or to, to, you know, to, to lead. And now you are, this is what we are sitting with. Mm. Years and years. Off. And, and we cannot get it right. There's no way that we can fix the, a broken system. In 2018, um, Mr. Ramaphosa already said that our healthcare system is, is, is run down. Yeah. So how on earth do you want us to fix it? We cannot fix it. And we still cannot fix it with a lot of politicians. Mm. Well, this is, the, this is the problem in our healthcare system that is run down for many years. Now, COVID is exposing it. Dr. Kutsia paints a pretty horrifying picture of what you might face if you try to get treated at a local hospital right now. Well, if you don't have any money or on a medical scheme, they will refer you to Steve Bicker. The chances that you will get to Steve, to Steve Bicker at this stage is in Nolan Zero. But um, you might end up in Timbiza if you're lucky. Um, you might end up in anywhere where they will find a place for you, can take them up to an hour to look for a hospital that will be willing to take you, because you're not in a medical scheme, if that's what you want to know. Mm. If you are in a medical scheme, that specific hospital might not have beds for you, and because you broke your leg, you still, you will then fall under a patient under investigation, you will first get a COVID test, waiting 24 hours for that COVID test to be done. And then only will you get your operation because you, they need to understand in which theatre to operate you in. Okay, so so if so you say if like so basically I take it that's for Gauteng. So if you if you're not on a medical aid scheme, it can take you up to an hour to find a, a hospital once you to be to be taken yeah. to for treatment. Which which hospitals are saying that they don't have beds? Which which hospitals mainly? Is it is it private or public hospitals? 
but but they will you know at the moment when you start complaining in the media about it the hospitals will say no they only divert they still have beds yeah they call it a divert and through all the years they will divert so ambulance will will phone the casualty and say listen I'm bringing in a patient who was in the car accident the hospital will say I'm full you cannot come to me Mm. go and look at any other hospital but we are full Okay. They call it divert. So then the ambulance p- personnel would then need to, to find the next hospital and yeah. the next and the next until they get a bloody hospital. Yeah. But now it's worse. Now it's worse with the COVID because now the beds are kept for COVID patients. Are you, are you worried? No, for sure I'm worried. Yeah. But you know, you come at the stage but you just look, stand back and you say, let the tsunami happen. There's too many, the problem is it's a political, there's too many politicians, it's pol- if you go and look at the command center, if you go and look at, at the MEC, all of them, it's political uh, uh, structures, it's, it's not, I don't know how to say to you, it's, pol- politicians can oversee the, pro- the, the thing, but let the people who knows the work do it. Guys, you haven't seen anything yet. We are now going into this. You will see the the numbers are going to skyrocket. You haven't seen anything yet. Wait, wait, wait for the next two or three weeks. You will see what happens. There's nothing that I'm concerned more. You know, mm. it's a problem. It's we are going into a problem. We are going to see a crisis. absolutely alarming is that if you are a doctor and you don't work in a hospital, in other words, a GP, you have your own private practice, and you get a patient who is severely ill, there is no system that you as a doctor can log into to see bed availability in in state hospitals. It's just like this is birth of information. And the statistics that we're seeing, I mean, Gauteng released its um, statistics today on predicting the number of beds that will be needed and by mid-September when this, the peak is at its highest. Yeah. They're predicting that 70, just, just in Gauteng, you'll need 70,000 general ward beds. What? 10,000, up to 10,000 ICU beds. We don't have I mean, enough beds. No, I'm just going to say that for you again. We are currently in a situation where doctors can't even track bed availability to send their really ill patients to available hospitals. But at the same time, the Gauteng COVID-19 Command Council has calculated that by mid-September, that's only two months from now, we will need 70,000 general ward beds and 10,000 ICU beds just to keep up with the anticipated influx of sick people. And it makes me wonder if Dr. Kutsia is right. Is the truth that our medical system has just been too broken for too long? I don't want to seem cynical. Because work is definitely being done. Alex, for example, went to the opening of the Charlotte Matreke Academic Hospital's new COVID ICU ward 
26 ICU beds were donated by First Rand's Spire Fund, but during the tour, a throwaway figure caught our attention. This sort of equipment runs into tens of thousands of rands. Rand would not have been feasible uh, right at the outset without this wonderful sort of partnership. Uh, just a bed, as we can see uh, behind us and elsewhere, a bed like this cost in the region of 30,000. Just the bed costs 30,000 rand. The voice you just heard was the hospital's pulmonologist, Professor Mervyn Murr, during a tour of the new ICU unit, which looks incredible, by the way. It was one of those throwaway comments. You know, he's grateful to the hospital's donors for making the ward possible and so on. But given the amount of beds we're going to need, that's going to be a lot of money. And let's be honest, our national fiscus doesn't exactly runneth over with abundance at the moment. So it leaves us questioning, how are we going to afford what we're going to need to keep people alive through this pandemic? More importantly, as Dr. Kutsia mentioned, infrastructure means nothing unless you have trained personnel and resources available to treat your sick patients. We need our medical professionals now more than ever, but they are at risk of infection, overworked and under-resourced. We spoke to several doctors this week and we asked them to just level with us regarding their working circumstances and their concerns. Because we've asked them to be so upfront with us, we've decided to keep their identities to ourselves. If you look at the population, the mortality is sitting around about 2 or 3%. So the majority of people will be fine. When you get to the intensive care unit, it's a different story because the majority of patients who are very sick um, are profoundly unwell. Um, and so I think that's the disparity people have, that there are many people that have mild COVID and think that it really is just a common old cold. But when it's bad, it's it's exceptionally bad. Today I'm on call. You get to work at eight, and then you start in the wards. You do your ward rounds, and then you see the patients that were admitted at night. So now what's new is we swab the suspected patients in our ward. So that means that you get to the ward, you have to organize full PPE, because on an ordinary day we don't get the full PPE. We just get a gown and the um, theater caps and the boots, but that's it. Uh, so we only uh, put on the full PPE when we swab, which doesn't really make sense because you've been seeing, you saw the patient in casualty, you admitted the patient, um, you saw the patient in the morning, and then only you wear the full PPE when you swab. So your risk of being exposed started when the patient walked in to the hospital. We really are exposed and I had to actually go to a point of getting my own jumpsuit, which can be washed up to 68 times because I felt like I'm not willing to risk, um, you know, the being exposed and possibly 
exposing my family to it. We even had to complain for the cleaners and the people in the kitchen because they were not getting anything at all. And some of them ended up being um, infected. We actually had two that passed away. I mean, everyone that walks into the ward should have protection, not just because they are doctors or nurses, but the cleaner as well. I would say, well, from my side, I mean, we 80% feel protected. Um, but because the, the structure is not really fully there, so everyone is sort of doing whatever they think you know, seems to be scientifically correct. You're only as safe as you taking the precautions, but it's not really from any person up there who's making you feel safe. It's up to you. This weekend I've been working at Sepo Temba Hospital, which is in Soweto. It's a private hospital there, and it was really, really bad. I worked at Linmed Casualty yesterday, which is in Benoni, also really, really bad. I mean, and this is in a private hospital where they didn't have an ICU bed for somebody that came in who required ventilation. And there were other private hospitals in the area that also didn't have enough beds available. It was really a dire situation on Sunday. Uh, and I had uh, on my shift, for the 12-hour shift that I had, there were three really severe cases. The others were manageable and, and, and they sort of improved on oxygen. But we are now seeing, as the numbers pick up, obviously, uh, the more the more in infections we have, the more severe ones we shall also see. When you admit someone in the hospital, you cannot go and visit as, a, as the family or friends of the patient, okay? So we only have the patients in the hospital. So what is now happening? There's no one except the doctors or the nurses that can whistleblow if anything goes wrong in the hospital. You know, if your if your loved one is extremely sick and ill, you you would not know whether you know um, they have been fed, whether they have been cleaned, or you know the normal things that that the patient's family normally look out for. So normally the patient's family will say, you know, the nurse is not doing her work, or the doctor was not there, or, or whatever. Now the patient is lying there. The patient is is very sick, and you cannot come in and see how dirty the hospital is for argument's sake. It's a concerning number of staff members that are testing positive. Really? Yeah, I think that's, that's, the, that's a big thing and some of us feel that it's not that people need to report on those things but I think it's being seriously underreported. You've got units that would have large, large numbers. Almost every day, you know, you really? hear of somebody that you're working with that has tested positive. And the fact that I mean, there seems to be no sort of accountability to say, you know, what's going to happen to those people, what's going to happen to the person's family if something's going to happen to the person. Yeah. If you had to say, like, try and estimate how many people from your staff complement have been ill, would you be able to say? Let me say, for the past week, there's about 11 staff members that got policy. Just in one week? Mm -hmm. So that's in a unit where you're looking at maybe about 60 people. And then added two, two patients, two patients as well? Three. Who came, we know that they came to the hospital, they were negative. They, they, they came to the hospital negative and got it here. Yeah. South African doctors, nurses, healthcare workers are highly skilled because we have to work in the most pressurized system. 
a pressurized healthcare system uh, i think in the world almost uh, there's very few places where we have to make these types of you know uh, life altering decisions for patients where we have to choose who gets to live and who dies on a regular basis this is already what we're doing so now when when we when we hit to the pandemic and we need to make these decisions we're used to making them but it doesn't make it any easier uh it's it's a norm for us as south african doctors to have to prioritize patients and see who gets operated on who gets the icu bed first we fight literally we all clamor around the icu and discuss with the the specialist there on who, who uh, which which patient should get the bed that opens itself up and becomes available this is something that is common to south african doctors we know this we've we've always got a shortage of of space when it comes to high care or icu doctors are nervous and rightfully so the stakes cannot be understated in this case It's really scary to think that you might land up being one of the unlucky South Africans who develop a severe reaction to COVID-19, only to go looking for help and be turned away. For our journalists Alex and Graham, it was this potential reality that really seemed to bother them. But I was I was chatting to um Uh, quite a few pulmonologists doctors who work with uh, chest infections and chest diseases and the lungs um obviously because they are now in the thick of things they the guys mm. who are in the ICU and they were saying i mean they now have to triage patients and it's like you come in like are you sick to the point of dying and are you viable so like you might be really sick with the virus but that doesn't guarantee you an ICU or uh, an ICU bed or uh ventilation they'll do their best for you but like unless you meet a strict criteria it's like sorry bud and you might not survive it it's crazy and that doesn't Absolutely. matter even if you have medical aid like yeah. it's like it doesn't matter get in line i i think medical aid in this situation means bugger all nothing it nothing. means absolutely nothing I, mean, i was chatting to the big private hospital groups nickey mm. uh medi medicinic and life and they were saying they're all stretched to capacity yeah and uh, cool. almost beyond And and that's the thing is we uh I I also spoke to Sama the medical association and and they were saying what we thought would happen is that the the public hospitals will fill up and then spill over into the private hospitals mm-hmm. but it's the other way around the private hospitals are full up and yeah. so you, you, wherever has space for you if there's space will take you um and and I'm hearing there's there's really really sick with covid you know sick patients who who are lying on the floor in some hospitals because there just isn't space but they can't turn you away yeah. no, it's, it's 
I don't know whether you whether one is safer in a hospital or out of a hospital. I mean, if you look at how how quick this disease strikes mm. and how rapidly sick one gets. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just you know, do you do you spend two hours at home potentially dying, or do you mm. spend two hours on the road potentially dying? Yeah, or making somebody else ill. Yeah. Yeah, I, you've said it all. I actually don't know what to say. I, I don't want to say that people don't give a shit, but, I mean, when you look at it, people are going to die because of this. To give the health department its due, Graham also spoke to the MEC of Health in Gateng this week. And it is clear that he and his department are really doing their best. The province has just begun to develop a method to track and monitor hospital availability for emergency workers. It hasn't been rolled out to general practitioners as of yet, but the process is slowly starting. We would have liked to have seen more progress with field hospitals, but there are a number of field clinics currently conducting screenings across the province. Our medical professionals remain vulnerable, but hospitals are definitely trying their best to keep their staff safe. All of the good work aside, we began this episode with a question in mind. Has it been enough and are we ready for what comes next? Having a look at the situation as it stands right now, A lot more needs to be done if we're going to be able to welcome all our severely ill patients and truly do what is needed to save each of their lives. For Boots on the Ground, Behind South Africa's National Lockdown, a production of Multimedia Live, I am Paige Muller. You are listening to Boots on the Ground, behind SA's national lockdown. Boots on the Ground is a short podcast series documenting South Africa's national lockdown as a result of the outbreak of COVID-19. Boots on the Ground is a true piece of mobile journalism. All interviews, voices and sound effects have been gathered using nothing but smartphones. Boots on the Ground is a production of Multimedia Live, a division of Arena Holdings. Narration done by Samar Lutuli. Audio gathered by Graham Hoskin and Alex Patrick. Sound design and editing by Paige Muller. Production by Multimedia Head Scott Peter Smith. To catch the next episode of Boots on the Ground for free, please subscribe to the podcast on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.